Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jack. How are we doing this morning? Good. Not good. <laughs> just total honesty. Uh, two things. Uh, what Mia just said, I totally echo that. My background is in uh, high school, public high schools, and then youth ministry. So it's a big deal. The vision I always had for youth ministry, kids ministry, is each kid has this web of people around them. And the church's job is to surround them with this web of gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled people. So you're wondering... Is she talking to me when she wants kids volunteers? I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to just tell you, you don't need to pray. Don't overthink it. Yes, you should sign up. So, um, Especially you young guys. Like the greatest guys in the church that are not 30 yet. A lot of them you can just walk down the hall. And they're sitting on the floor talking to little kids who are distracted for days. And those guys are doing their best. And I don't know if it's they were great before they got here and that's part of their greatness or the serving. Either way, you should be in there. So sign up, talk to me and talk to me and get in the kids' classroom and serve our kiddos. The other thing is sort of a redemption. And this is like a kind of announcement, but redemption is 10 congregations across the state of Arizona. It's a it's got a lot of organization behind the scenes. And currently at the like highest levels of redemption, we're working through some stuff just structurally. Uh, we got to 10 churches and we're looking ahead like if we want to add more churches, uh, be a part of more initiatives, uh, we've got to sort of figure out some structure stuff. So we've got this team that's working over the next six weeks uh, on redemption behind the scenes. So you're like, why are you telling me something that's maybe not really announced me yet? Because in the middle of summer, there's going to be a, a, final, a final day for that group, that team to come together and say, here's what we think could be a part of redemption's structure going forward. And we're going to vote on it and we're going to move forward maybe with some changes of redemption. So I just wanted you to A, be praying. For wisdom, James says wisdom that's from above is pure. We want pure wisdom in all this. And just clarity for redemption to be in the will of God, to be faithful to what God has called us to. So be praying and then just know something uh, in the summer might be coming where we make an announcement. It may or may not affect you. It might affect you this much. It might affect you this much. I don't really know, but just know as a church family with families across the state, that's what we have going on. So now we get to dive into Chandler Cruz told me this is his favorite passage of all time. I said, I wish I would have known that before. I would have had you preach it, but I am preaching this. Here's what we're talking about today. Weakness, just as clear as I can be. And whenever I'm sermon prepping, what I mainly do is I read the scripture over and 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 over. Go over and over and over. And then my mind starts to go places and weakness kept coming out. And then I'm like, what about strength? And I get on the random tangents that aren't like Holy Spirit led. They're just me sort of distracted. And one of them was like, strength. World's strongest, and then go on this deep dive of the world's strongest. Just some facts for you guys to know. <laughs> Bench press. You ready for this? 1,350 pounds is the world record. That's, I asked Cody the other day, man, how much do you bench? You're like way stronger than me. And he said like 500 or something stupid, which I thought was impossible. And this guy's like triple Cody. 
And then you go to squat, which I don't know how to make sense of this, but the squat world record is less than the bench. Some guy named Brian Carroll, all steroid-free, they say. <laughs> and the greatest deadlift with an elephant bar deadlift, whatever that means, is 1,025 pounds. That is some strength. And then I would search Guinness Book of World Records for weakest, and there's nothing. Because <laughs> nobody wants to talk about the weak. Learn from the weak. Listen to the weak. And what we're looking at today is a passage to the weak, a.k.a. Christians. One of my favorite pastors of all time, Ray Ortland, has this quote about this passage here. And here's our uncomfortable big idea. I just stole it, ripped it from him. Ray says, we never graduate out of our weakness, even in our prayer. Like part of Christianity that we overlook so often is the weakness factor that we bring to the equation. That is what keeps us in relationship with our Father in heaven, our spirit who empowers us, and Jesus who is our great big brother. Weakness is what Christianity is about. So if you came here to like bench press and be one of the bros and kind of prove yourself, it's going to be a, not a very applicable message. But if you like have any sense of like, man, he's talking to me already. We haven't even met yet. This message is for you. So here's the three questions I'm going to ask to walk us through this morning. What is Paul teaching in this particular passage? It's kind of a crazy passage. It's a lot of like, wow, what does he say? What does it teach us about us? And what does it teach us about God? So that's where we're going. I want to pray and ask the Spirit to be here once again this morning as we talk about the Spirit. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we don't want knowledge that puffs up. We want love that builds up. So God, we are all C-level students at best when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We need to know you more, understand you to the extent which you will allow this side of heaven and live within the reality of having you, the Spirit, in us and through us and for us right in the middle of our weakness, God. So be with us as we walk through this again this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's the first question. What is Paul teaching? What are we talking about this passage? Let's just read it again, and then we're going to walk through and just see what Paul's teaching. So 8, 26, verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's a lot in that little nugget of text. Just the first word, just to kick us off, likewise. So likewise is looking back to something that was just said. So similarly to, so what is Paul saying this is likewise to or similar to? So last week we talked about suffering, hope in the suffering of the here and now. Just to give you, I'll give you the, the beginning and the end of last week's sermon so you don't have to listen to it. Uh, I think it's okay, but you don't know, here it is. Verse 18, go look at this. Romans 8, 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Jump down to verse 24 and 25. So there's present suffering, 
Verse 24, but we have hope. For in this hope we were saved, and now hope that is seen is not hope. For he who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What did Paul say last week? He says there is real suffering you're in right now, but there is real hope that we have. Future hope, past hope, present hope. You can grab on to hope that will get you through this suffering. And then Paul says, likewise, similarly, there's some other ways to get through the hardness of life right now. And then he unpacks this very mystical passage about the Holy Spirit. So we have hope, yes. But similarly, we have something more than that. Let's just walk through. What is Paul teaching here? Let's walk through kind of word by word, phrase by phrase. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Stop right there. The first thing is this. That this passage, very simply, we're weak. That's it. Similarly, God wants to help us. Help us with what? In our strength to get stronger? No, help us in our weakness. What's the weakness? It's a being a human being, a fallen human being, in a broken world, how do you not only survive, but thrive in this world? Because you're weak, and I'm weak. None of us get out of this world unscathed. Mary Tyler Moore, you youngsters don't know who that is, but that's one of her quotes. We all walk through this world and are scathed and are hurt and broken. Why? This world is not kind. It's not neutral. And therefore, there is weakness, and we are Weak, but here's where this passage like and turns the knife to make his point. Let's keep reading. He doesn't just give a blanket weakness, he then says this in the middle of verse 26 For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Just read that again. Describe our weakness, Paul. Here's how bad the weakness is We do not know what to pray for as we ought. Uh, Notice Paul doesn't say, and we don't even know how to pray, like it's a technique thing or a wisdom thing, or Xavier's job is formation. He's helping form us into the image of Jesus through his classes and all this that he's coming up. It's not a technique or a class or a structure. It's like even the content, we don't even know what to pray. That's how bad it is. So just also, what you understand what's being said here. There's a lot of times we know what we're supposed to pray for and what we should be praying for. So this is not just a blanket statement over prayer in general. For example, we know that we should pray for non-Christian friends that they would hear the gospel. So Paul's not talking about that instance. We should pray for unity and love. Husbands, we should pray to understand our wives, because one of the few verses written specifically to husbands in the New Testament says exactly that. Husbands, understand your wives. So he's not talking about that. Like, you, have you met my wife? No, but Paul says, pray that you would understand her. So he's not even talking about that. But this, purity, like sexual purity, which is a huge struggle without even knowing all the stories in here. Paul is not talking about praying for sexual purity, that which we know we ought to be praying for and asking for and seeking in our life. Like, we're dating, we're close to engagement, we're going to get married one day, and I know we shouldn't be doing this, but, ah, yeah, this verse, yeah, I don't, help me pray. That, no, Spirit's not helping you in that instance. 
That's not what this passage is saying. It says, young people, here's what you should aspire. In your life, set an example in your speech, in your love, and in your purity. So there is a thousand examples of what we know we should pray for in the Bible explicitly telling us, pray for this. This is not what is being talked about. It's moments where you're like, I have no idea. For example, suffering. What do you pray for in suffering? I know what I want. God, end this. End this. But is that what I should be praying for? Should I pray for, God, I want to be a good witness in this hospital room, in this hospice room, because I know that that person's close to trusting in you. But this is crushing my kid, watching me here. Ah, That's what it's talking about. Where there's like an area where you're like, ah. Think about like all the gray area of life. Think about work and all the decisions made in work. Do I climb that ladder? Do I get off this ladder, walk up that ladder? Do I throw the ladder out altogether? Do I switch jobs? Like the job. No, that's not what job's about. It's actually Job in the Bible. But uh, <laughs> what do I do in this instance here? About love. What does love call me to do here? with a family member that is so difficult. I confront. Do I just take the L? So just so we're all, like this is not just prayer in general when it's hard or a situation is hard. This is like where even you as a Christian, whether you've been walking with Jesus a day or it's been 60 years of faithful walking with Jesus, you enter this moment and you're like, I don't even know what to do here. That's what we're talking about here weakness so big it, it gets exposed in the fact that I don't even know what to pray. And then what happens? Here's the next thing we see. Let's read the next verse together. Well, a comma. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Here's what happens next. The Spirit groans with us. The Spirit the Holy Spirit, capital H, capital S, groans with us. Let's just read it again. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What is happening here? That's where it's like, if you've never been in church before, and this is your first service, and I'm talking about God and a Spirit, and the Spirit's groaning in us, like you just entered a whole world of just know that all the Christians in here are like, yeah, I'm a little confused too. <laughs> like, I... I Help me out. So I'll do my best. But here, groaning is sort of a key theme in this little passage here. So look at verse 22. It's what we talked about last week. Here's how God describes what the world is doing apart from Jesus returning. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So all the earth, all the universe is groaning that God would come back and restore it. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. So creation's groaning in its own weird way. We are groaning. We who have the first fruits of the spirits, aka Christians, followers of Jesus, we're groaning inwardly because we live in a broken world. And then what we just read, 
Middle verse 26, and the spirit now himself groans with groanings too deep for words. So here's the picture. Creation is groaning. Each Christian in this room groans. And now the Holy Spirit who is inside of us enters into those groans and groans with us with groans. That, that, that word there means wordless groans. Like expressionless, inexpressible words. The Spirit comes into our groans and groans with us. You're like, what is happening? I know. But God, the third person of the, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is in us groaning along and with us. What is being talked about? If you're a church person, you're like, is he going to go there? Some people think this is mainly talking about tongues. I don't think that's what's being talked about. Different language. If you don't know what tongues is, ask somebody in the room. If they don't know, then go Google it. It's talking about the universal reality of being a Christian when you don't have words to express your feelings, your emotions, your despair, your hope. The Holy Spirit enters into those groanings with you and groans alongside you, in you, for you. It's like this just intimate picture of the most vulnerable position we're in as Christians where like not even prayer can we offer. We got nothing. And the Holy Spirit comes in and enters into those groans with us. But he doesn't just enter in and sort of stay. It's not like two teenagers getting together just commiserating like with no real purpose to get out of this. It's like, just, let's just complain about our parents together. The Holy Spirit comes in and groans. And then what does he do? Let's read the next verse. And he who searches hearts know what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit now intercedes for the saints according to... To the will of God. So here's what just happened. God is searching our hearts. God knows the mind of the Spirit, and the mind of the Spirit brings those prayers, our groans, to God the Father. Like, I have nothing to say. I just, is it actual groans? Maybe. It's those, I just can't express this. And the Holy Spirit, who is in every believer in this room, enters into those groans, groans alongside you, with you, for you, and then it says, he who searches the hearts, that's God the Father who knows our hearts and he knows the mind of the Spirit, takes those prayers and gives them to Father according to the will of God. It's like the most beautiful gift of intimacy and relationship without having words to describe exactly what's happening. I don't know what I have. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes into this and the Holy Spirit's groanings pair up with our groanings. And they get presented back to God according to the will of God. Why? Because we don't know what to do and the Holy Spirit is not going to leave us inadequate even in our prayer life. He's going to come in and do his best. The best sort of summary statement I saw in all this, a guy named Sam Storms, who's actually a charismatic guy. He's reformed and charismatic, so he lives in lots of church space. But he says this. Here's what's happening. The Spirit awakens in us or stirs in our hearts groanings, with which he then identifies and makes his own. And then he carries those groanings to the heart of the Father on our behalf. We're groaning. The Spirit's groaning with us. The Spirit now takes those groanings and gives them to God the Father on our behalf as prayer, according to the will of God. Why? Because we didn't have anything to give. The Spirit was not going to leave us there. 
all alone. I've been trying to think of like, how do you explain this? I think on a gut and emotional level, a lot of us can say we've experienced this. And then you say, well, explain like what happened. You're like, I don't know. It was like some groanings and stuff. And uh, on a technical level, we want like, well, tell me tech, like, oh, what's happening? I don't know. Here's the best. I've got three illustrations that I've been praying through. Like, is this what's happening? I think I'm, I'm not far off. I'm not going to say put this in scripture, but I'm going to say, I think this is, here's what I think the spirit is doing this moment. There's three things I think. He's acting as a filter, like a water filter, whatever sort of filter you have, wherever you have it, what's it, it's keeping the bad out. So part of our prayers is just a honest, vulnerable, blabbing to God everything. And that's good. And the spirit enters our groanings and filters out and takes to God. I think here's what Josh is saying. And I think this is what Josh ultimately wants if he knew everything that you and I know. Here, filtering out the bad. Another way to think about it is the translator. Today we have a Spanish service starting their first service after this one. It's a real sweet day. Uh, but they're going to speak it in Spanish. And if you don't know Spanish, you're going to be lost unless there's a translator. And I think the Holy Spirit acts as like a translator. Here's what I'm saying. Like, just to, not to harp on husbands all the time, but I am one. A lot of a husband's prayer, if they're honest, is for their wife to be more understandable. Like, I just don't. Like, God, if she could just explain it, if she just, if she just, if she just, she just, she just, she just. And the Holy Spirit, I think, translates that. And it's like, I think you need to seek to be more understanding. God, help me. And you're getting translated into the will of God, that which you presented to God in the first place. And then the final one, this is the one that I've seen in my life most often. And I didn't know the best way to explain it, but here's the other way. So if we got a filter, keeping out the bad translator, kind of taking our words and meanings and translating them that to the Father. I also think of like a 3D printer. Most of my prayers are pretty flat. Like not a lot of imagination or hope or need of the Holy Spirit to actually accomplish it. It's like, God, I want to lose five pounds. You don't need the Holy Spirit. You just need to not eat so many chips. That's... <laughs> Done. <laughs> like, here's one of my ongoing prayers, is I want the Wad House to be a magnet for boys. Like, that sounds creepy. <laughs> that's, that's not our doormat. It's my... We have sons. I want it to be the place where, like, just guys, young guys, boys, like, I just remember the Wad House. And I picture, like, oh, just our local neighbors. Who knows, like what the 3D picture of that prayer actually coming to fruition actually is. So when I'm praying, God, make our house a magnet. Holy Spirit is taking what I'm saying, what I think I want, and making it 3D, beautiful, in-depth, wonderful, beautiful, in the will of God, back to the Father. This is what I think Paul is teaching. We are weak, so weak we don't know how to pray, all we're doing is groaning, but the Holy Spirit does not just watch us from a distance as we groan. He enters into our groanings. And something mysterious and intimate and relational and wonderful happens in that moment. And the Holy Spirit takes what we're saying and presents it to God in a way that is true and authentic to us, but also in the will of God. That is amazing. Where else do you get such 
wonderful help like that where you have nothing. You get it from God in the scriptures, period. That's what this is saying. What does it teach us about ourselves, though? Just a couple things and then what it teaches about God. First thing is we are far weaker than any of us realize. And I'm speaking to myself because I go, 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 do, 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 learn, 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 fight, fight, fight. I... And then I read this and I'm like, man, we are so weak. We can't even pray. That's pretty pathetic. That's not making it on any blog as an example of what we're aspiring to. Just to give you, an, like, here's how I want to break this down. Here's life in the flesh. This is what Romans 8 has been all about. Life is hard. I, in my strength, do my best to overcome it. So what does that mean? Life is hard. We all face the same circumstances. Anxiety, broken relationships, decisions about our sexual lives, financial decisions. All of us are in the same world making the same decisions, facing the same obstacles. It's not a Christian versus non We're all in the same world together. And we face these situations. And here's what the flesh says. I and my strength is going to do the best to overcome this, whatever it is. Overcome could be like self-helpy. We're at this little league game yesterday. My wife was talking to this lady just randomly. She's like, do you know my husband? Not my wife, the other one. I was like, no. She's like, my husband's a really annoying one, never shuts up. He sounds like a walking self-help book. I'm like, no, we don't know that. But she's like, can you imagine being married to the guy who just walks around just like pumping everyone up like, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. There's that version of like, we can do this. There's also like, this is hard. I want to distract myself. I want to numb myself. I want to avoid this. And you don't actually overcome it, but you sort of sidestep it. And you step back into life in a different lane. That's according to the flesh. You could fill in a lot of things. It's life without Jesus. Life's hard. What do you do to deal with the hard? You overcome it in whatever way you can. And then you re-enter life after conquering that which was hard. Here's what life in the spirit tells us. Life is hard. Same. But I in my weakness pray for God's strength. How do I face this relationship? How do I face this decision? How do I face this boss? How do I face this job culture that is so greedy? Like everyone in my job is so greedy. No one is looking out for each other. I mean, it is a dog-eat-dog world. It is brutal. How do I do this? I pray and I ask God's strength to be in me. And I'm not marked by greed. I want to be marked by generosity. How does that happen? I pray and I ask God to make that happen. And then you re-enter the world after the Spirit's victory. And you do it over and over and over again until you meet Jesus. I can deal with that. Here's what this passage just told us is true of all of us. Life is hard. Just cross out that. We're not even strong enough in our weakness to even pray for that which we could pray for in other situations. I'm too weak to know what to pray, but here's what this tells us. The Spirit prays with me and for me in my lowest. When that which is me already expressing my total dependency, prayer is taken off the table and I don't even have that to give to God. That's now gone. You go to Romans 8, 26, 27. You say, Spirit, you are 
praying with me, in me, for me. And that's all I got. And then you reenter life after another spirit victory in your life. This tells us that none of us are as strong as we think we are. We are far weaker than any of us realize. Just to give you a few words from Jesus, the greatest sermon ever given. Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. Who is he talking to? A bunch of weak people in this world. That's the first thing we learn about us. Here's the second thing. We are far more complicated than we acknowledge. Like this passage, if it's true, means like even our prayer life, our most is like this complicated mess that we're just like doing our best and the Spirit has to come up and clean up our mess, even in our prayers. That's fascinating. So just here, write this down. We are more complicated than we can ever acknowledge. When I used to teach youth ministry, it was a lot, mostly parent work. It was like kids, and the kids would present stuff, and then there was a lot of meetings with the parents, a lot of parent classes. But the image I have for teenagers, which is true, I think, of a lot of people, is a duck. You look at a duck on a lake. Look at that sweet duck over there. It looks so peaceful. It's just cruising along, just looking around. And what do you see under the water? You don't see it, but it's like frantic parents. That's what your teenagers are like. Doing their best to like present whatever needs to be presented and frantically. And the older I get, the more I realize that's sort of a human condition that only the Spirit can help with. We got lots of complicated things going on in us, through us, inside of us. Like just a few realities for each of you in this room right now that you have to navigate in this very moment and the second you leave this place. There's a biological reality. Your body is a certain way right now, for better or for worse. Your physiological reality is a certain reality right now, for better or for worse. Your mind, your, all of it. Your emotional reality, your hearts, your fears, your hopes. Like just if we took one of you, brought you on stage, and tried to peel back the onion of one human being in the time we have together. We'd like pull back one, two, three. All right, it's time for lunch. We'll come back next week. It would take us a whole year to get through one person. We are complicated beings. Our historical reality, our stories, so much of therapy. Mia's a great therapist. So much of what she does is this like peeling back to the beginning origin of the story of each person and how it impacted them for good and not for good. We are complicated beings. Our ethnic realities, like that plays into all this. How you experience life is through one ethnicity or a mixture of ethnicities, or a confusing ethnic, whatever, that plays into this. Our cultural moment is the most confusing, maybe of all time. So to say we're complicated is not like some guys giving freedom to people in here to be like, I'm just too comp, it's reality. And I, I, I don't mean this like, those of you that like bend towards this angsty teenage band 
no one gets me. I'm the most unique person ever on earth. Look at this album cover that looks exactly like the other thousand album covers that the same angsty person is saying. But I'm saying like part of Christian growth is expressing what reality is. And reality is we are just complicated. And the Bible doesn't paint flat pictures of humanity. There's not this black and white, here's stick figure version of humanity that the Bible gives us. Complicated, nuanced, unique people. We are more complicated than we acknowledge. But however, what does this teach us about God? Here's where I want to wrap up our time. Here's the first thing. Very simply, he wants to help. I mean, it's easy to overlook words that aren't that impressive, especially in this very complicated text. But verse 26, here's how God describes this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I don't know what version of God you grew up with. You're fighting to fight back in your head. But God of the scriptures is always looking to help. Not to play second character in your main story of the world, but to help you honestly, truly, lovingly. Our God is a helper. The Holy Spirit, one of his names is he is our helper. God wants to help. Here's the second thing I see about God. He sees us. In our weakness, but he sees it as an invitation to deeper intimacy. The most intimate acts this side of heaven, like where you could freeze and be like, that's intimacy at its finest. Like I think of a mother and a child. The fact that Aubrey had my boys inside of her nutrients from her. That's why she loves them a lot more than I do. She's, you know, I'm like, babe, they're just kids. Like, I, I carried them inside of me. It was like the greatest gift ever been given to me. There's intimacy like that. That's amazing. Think of sexual intimacy. Two people, totally exposed, vulnerable. There. Intimacy. Like, where do you see better intimacy than what's being described here? Like, I think of a counselor, Mia, in her moments, where there's somebody who's like down and out, and there's another human in this world that sees them, understands them, and there's a moment like intimacy. We use intimacy way too just icky and charged in one direction, but intimacy is what this whole thing is about. Christ and me, me and Christ for eternity. And I don't know of a more intimate, beautiful picture of what God is after than this right here. That in our deepest longings that we can't even express, understand, fully get, our spirit enters into that with us. And then he doesn't just leave us there or try to fix us or like slap us around. He takes that longing that's in there in us and he transforms it and he gives it back to the Father as a beautiful prayer of intercession for us. Our weakness is the invitation in the Christian life. It's not something to be bounced around. We're not trying to make it on the world, Guinness Book of World Records as the greatest Christians. We're trying to make it as dependent, humble, weak, spirit-led people. That's it. 
And then here's the third thing I see, is he sees us, he understands us, and he loves us in all of our complexity. Like Mia mentioned, no love center, that's the kids' ministry motto. No, K-N-O, we got it up here. Love center, if you're in kids' ministry, you have a shirt. You're like, that's amazing. I came up with that, just so you know. <laughs> but the old ministry I was a part of, they'd always ask, like, where'd you come up with that? Most visionaries are like, I got a vision, we're taking people there. That's not me at all. Like, I was in this youth ministry, and I'm, like, trying to figure out what I'm trying to do, and then this came to me one day. No, love, center. And it came to me for two reasons, mostly out of bad examples. One, I had people at the church wanting to come and be a part of youth ministry and teach these kids the right stuff because this world is going to you-know-what real fast and they need some good teachers. I said, I agree with a lot of the sentiment going on there, but I don't think what kids or youth or adults need is someone just with the right facts to be presented to them. I picture my wife in Texas in this discipleship environment with an older lady. Won't give any names. You don't need to Google her sit down at a Denny's and they have this book and the lady is just dropping facts and truth about Jesus on my wife endlessly for the 12, 16, 18, 20 weeks they're together. You could have replaced Aubrey with an AI version of Aubrey, a panda bear, anybody in this room. It did not matter because there was nothing that came from Aubrey that changed anything about what was being presented. And that is so true in the church. And so true if you're older in this room. Because you got your tools, so you know what worked for you then. And I was like, I don't want that. And then the other thing which I'm walking into now is parents of teenagers. Like they think the issue is the teenager rebellion. And it's a issue. But the issue in parenting teens is the parents sticking in the game to seek to understand their kids like on a heart level, when they don't even know how to explain what they're feeling. Sound familiar? To know their kids. So I said, what I want is a ministry where knowing is first. People are going to know people here. The adults that get any FaceTime with the kids in my ministry will know them. And then based off what they know about Aubrey sitting across at Denny's, they are going to love that person. Not a generic person or a generic version of humanity, but Aubrey specifically. And then in that soil that's been cultivated, we are going to center them on the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ. Know, love, center. In this passage here says God knows us better than we know ourselves and loves us in spite of everything he knows. And he's in the process of centering us on Jesus, now and forever. What a great gift. I have this quote. I want to end on this because one of my heroes died this last weekend. A guy named Tim Keller. If you're in the church world, you might know. Died of cancer. But this captures so much of No Love Center and just the heart of God that I want to be true in each of us. He says this, to be loved but not known is superficial. Fill in in parentheses all the social media. 
all the hype, all the flashy stuff you present. But to be known but not loved is our deepest nightmare. Only Jesus knows us to the very bottom and loves us to the sky. Prove it, Josh. We just saw it. The Spirit will not leave us in our weakness. Even when our weakness takes us so low that we can't even offer a prayer, He's in there with us, working all things together for our good, which we get to hear and round out this beautiful passage next week. Let's pray together. God, there are specific groans in this room that have been grown for a while now. I pray that this is an encouragement that you're in it, that you know you are the one that searches hearts. You know the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit is now interceding on our behalf, not because we are so articulate or well-versed or theologically deep, but simply because you love us. And your love knows no bounds. There is no weakness great enough, no sin big enough that would keep us from your love. So God, I pray this passage is as encouraging as it should be to each person in this room in very specific and real ways that they would know that in their groanings they are not alone, that the Holy Spirit is there with us, in us, through us, and for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.